0: Grace Church, it's good to have you this morning. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, while I'm praying, you can feel free to turn to Malachi chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. But if you would, join me in prayer as we get ready to to dive into God's Word this morning. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done for us, Father. I pray that you would move mightily in our midst. I pray once again that you'd get me out of the way. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would have liberty to move mightily in the hearts and the minds and the lives of people this morning. I pray... That people would leave here having made decisions, having made commitments, maybe even vows to you, Father, to live for you, to give you um, their lives, to follow you with um, everything that they have, and to love you um, with all of their strength, all of their might, and uh, all of their soul. And we love you, God. We pray that you would move in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Malachi chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 17 this morning. And uh, those of you that are visiting here for the first time, my name is Justin Ross. I'm the lead pastor here. It's an honor to have you with us. And we have been praying for you this week. Um, actually, the staff has committed every morning when everybody gets here, we spend the first uh, hours of our time together in prayer. And uh, man, it's been uh, awesome to see how God has used prayer uh, to move mightily. And I believe... Uh, the power of prayer was evidenced last Sunday. You know, I want to start by thanking God for the amazing response that we had last Sunday in our service. We saw four people take a very courageous, brave, bold step of faith by being baptized. And they weren't even prepared to be baptized. It was spontaneous at the end of the service, and it was amazing. It was, it was an immediate response of obedience to the Holy Spirit of God. And it was incredible. It was incredible to see the Holy Spirit work in such a way, and I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again, church was never meant to be a spectator sport, alright, you were created to worship God, and when you step out in acts of courageous faith, it blesses the heart of God, you were made, you were created, you were meant to be involved, to, to worship God, to use your gifts, your talents, your creativity, your means, your being, for His glory. And for his honor. And when we come to worship the Lord, man, our hearts should be ready to participate. We should come with expectancy. We should come eager to meet with God, the creator of the universe. Alright? We're meeting with the Creator. We're hearing from the Creator of the universe, from His Word this morning. And I hope you're ready. Hope you're prepared. And I encourage you to take out the bulletin. There's an outline on the back. Uh, take out some paper, take some notes. Because I've worked really hard on this this week. And it's good. It's real good. So you, you want to you take some notes. That's bragging, Pastor. Yep, it's good. Alright. Today in our study, through the book of Malachi, the prophet deals with relationships. So if you're here this morning and you're single, I'm talking to you. If you're here this morning and you're married, I'm talking to you. It deals with Relationships. He has a lot to say to those of you who are single. He has a lot to say to those of you who are married. And so far, we've seen through the first part of Malachi that the prophet Malachi and God Himself are very angry. They're angry. They're angry because people were disrespecting the Lord. They were disrespecting God by how they were worshiping Him. They were disrespecting God by how they were living. How you live is very important. Why is God so angry? Why is God so upset? Why is God so frustrated? Why is God raising His voice with His children? Because He's fired up. He's fired up because He loves His people. He loves His children. And He's concerned. And the situation has reached a point of crisis. God's trying to get rebellious children to redirect their course. He sees that they're going off the edge. They're going uh, to just take a nosedive. They're crashing and burning. And He's trying everything in His power to redirect their course and to get them back on the right path. So here's what's going on in Malachi chapter 2. Here is why God... Is so upset. Here's why he's so angry. The priests in in uh, in this day, or or you could say even in our context, uh, in our context, you could say the pastors, they were marrying women who didn't believe in or follow God. Okay, these were the spiritual leaders, the pastors of the church. They were marrying women who didn't even believe in or follow God. Some of the pastors of the churches in this day were divorcing their believing wives for no good reason. And they were running off with younger, hotter, unbelieving, godless women. They were committing adultery. Okay, This happens even in our day. We've seen it on the news. Pastors just making horrible decisions. Pastors committing adultery. But here's the kicker they didn't and they wouldn't resign from their positions as priests or pastors it would be let's let's bring it right home to reality to our day it would be like me committing adultery on my wife trisha and then i would bring my new girlfriend to church pretending like nothing ever happened that has some serious implications does it not Would you not be a little bit concerned saying, I think our pastor is messed up. The priests were acting in such ways and they were pretending like God was okay with it all. And God is angry because He's not okay with it all. He's not okay with their behavior. He's not okay with the choices and the decisions they were making. That's why God is so angry because the leaders, the spiritual leaders, the priests, the pastors, were messing with him. They were disrespecting him. They weren't being obedient. They weren't following him. They weren't taking him seriously. And God is fed up. So let's pick it up in Malachi chapter 2, in verse 10. He says, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Let me ask you, church, how many gods? One. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? So Malachi says two things in this verse here about God. First of all, he says that God is our Father. He's our Father. And number two, He created us. Physically, He created us. And spiritually, He saves us. That's our God. So what's the problem? What's the problem? What's going on here? The problem is... They were profaning the covenant. We learned last week that a covenant is a sacred agreement between two parties based upon blood. God's keeping His end of the covenant, but the people here in Malachi were disrespecting their end of the agreement. They were disrespecting the covenant they made with God. See, God says, from the very beginning we learned, God says, I love you. I have always loved you. I vowed to You. I adopted You. I'm I'm Your Father and You're My child. I've promised to never leave You, to never forsake You. But You have also made vows to Me. You vowed to obey Me, to follow Me, to honor Me. And You vowed to strive to become more and more like Me. So God is keeping His promise But the people are profaning, they're disrespecting their promise, their commitment. It was nothing but garbage coming out of their mouth. It was nothing but garbage that was being represented by their lifestyle. It was great profanity in the ears and the eyes of God. So so let me ask you, how about you? And I'm speaking to those of you who have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. There's some here this morning who have never made that decision. And I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to those who have made the decision, have made a commitment to follow Christ. You gave your life to Jesus. You said you would serve Him with your life. Are you keeping your promise? Or has it just gotten too hard? It's too hard, man. It's too hard to serve God. What are you going to do, quit? Because it's too hard? Oh, I hate that. I hate that when someone asks me that question. What are you going to do, quit? Oh, man, I just don't want to quit now, right? So I thought I'd ask you in the same way. What are you going to do, quit? Because it's too hard to follow God? We live in a day and age where it's difficult to follow God, to do the right thing, when society and just the masses are just profaning the covenant, right? It's hard to do the right thing. Are you keeping your promise? He said, I surrender to you, God. I commit my life to you. Really? How are you doing with that commitment? As we read on this morning, God is going to talk to us like adults. Okay? He's going to be very blunt and He's going to tell us like it is. I don't know about you, but I actually like that. I like someone to shoot straight with me. I like someone to tell me like it is. Don't beat around the bush. Just tell me like it is. And that's what God's going to do with us this morning. And I just want to remind us that His whole purpose is to protect us and to keep us from traveling relational paths that we'll end up regretting. So God's not afraid to tell us the truth. Let me also remind us, because once again, God gets painted in in a bad light. Many times people think God's out to get us or that He's... Just some guy up in the heavens you know and he's frothing at the mouth and he has lightning bolts and he's just ready to strike anybody that messes up that's not the God we serve that's not the God of the Bible. Let me remind us of what God intends for relationship what, what God intends for marriage God's intention for marriage was oneness to be one flesh. Genesis chapter two says the husband and the wife became one. And the word one there is actually a Hebrew word and it's called ekad. It's the same word used in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. The Jews call it the Shema. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, He is one. He is ekad. So in the same way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, the Trinity, so... The husband and wife are one. We're to be one emotionally. Yes, we're two distinct individual people, but we're one still. We're one emotionally. We're one financially, physically, mentally, spiritually. We're one flesh. And as we read this morning, we're going to look at three major relational pitfalls that God is trying to protect us from. This morning, So let's dive right in. Verse 11 in Malachi chapter 2. The prophet says this, Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. He loves his church, you guys. He gave his life for this. And has married the daughter of a foreign god, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. The first pitfall that we're going to talk about this morning that Malachi deals with is the issue of marrying the wrong person. And the Bible is extremely clear about this church. When you marry someone, it's a huge commitment. You make vows. It's supposed to be for life. It's supposed to be till death does its part, right? it's a big deal so you would be wise to do your best to marry the right person right kind of common sense the bible's very clear about this check out second corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 and 15 don't team up with those who are unbelievers How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you marry someone who doesn't believe in and follow Jesus, you're going to face nothing but problems and difficulties and trials. The prophet Amos, he asked it this way in Amos chapter 3, verse 3. He said, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Like, common sense. I love the scriptures. It's like, man, if, if you get married and you're saying, hey, we want to go this way with our family, with our finances, you know, with our parenting, wouldn't it be good if you were going the same direction? This is common sense stuff, church. And for a marriage to be spiritually uh, successful, you have to agree on the direction. Who are we going to give our time to and our finances to and our energy and our creativity and our lives to? When you disagree on the essentials or when you disagree on the foundation on which a marriage should be built, you're asking for trouble. So let's be specific. You're like, man, I don't agree. Um... Let's let's talk talk some specifics. If you're a Christian and you marry a non-Christian, how will it cause problems in your marriage? Sunday morning, the Christian says, hey, let's get up, let's get ready, let's go to church. I want to worship my God. The non-Christian says, nah. Sunday's my day off. Let's sleep in. It's going to cause problems. The Christian says, I want to bring a tithe To the church. I want to bring a tithe to the Lord because God has given us everything. And I'm going to bring back to Him what already belongs to Him. The non Christian says, Are you kidding me? Are you nuts? Do you not realize that we have more month than money as it is? And you're going to give money to God? We can't afford that. The Christian says, Let's pray. Let's pray for our marriage. Let's pray for our kids. Let's pray and let's seek God's counsel on our future and on the direction of our lives. Let's pray for our church. And the non-Christian says, it'll work out. We don't need to believe in that kind of stuff. You know, we don't need to be superstitious. More often than not, church... This is the hard reality. More often than not, the non-believer is going to pull the Christian down. It's hard enough to get here on Sunday mornings. It's hard enough to serve the Lord faithfully when you're both committed to Christ. But if you're spiritually divided, it's next to impossible. If the marriage is spiritually divided you're much more likely to get divorced. Because you're not going the same direction. The Scripture says, a house divided cannot stand. When you marry outside the faith, you're starting your marriage off in the wrong direction. Young people, listen, young people. Those of you who are single, listen, listen, please. Every person you date could be the one... That you end up falling in love with. And if you marry someone who isn't a child of the living God, you're marrying someone who spiritually is a child of the devil. Like, this is, man, Pastor, this is hardcore here. Okay, don't take my word for it, please. Okay, because I can be an idiot. But listen to the words of Jesus. In John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, If God were your father, you would love me, because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? Man, I've been sitting in church, and it's like a foreign language. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me, for you are children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. I don't know about you, but I don't think you want to marry the daughter of the devil, right? Or the son of the devil. No matter how cute she is. Man, I don't. Talk about having some in law problems, right? Like Thanksgiving and Christmas, that's going to be awkward. Not to mention Easter, it's going to be weird. You may be thinking, so, so how do I find the right one? How do I find the right one? The best way to find the right person is to be the right person. You attract the lifestyle you live. So before you say, there's no good men out there. I've heard that. Oh, man, there's no good men out there. I just give up. Make sure you're a good woman first before you say that, okay? Once again, God is giving us these guidelines to protect us, to keep us from harm, to keep us from a life full of misery and regret. And let me say this as well. Two Christians can get married and the home can still be spiritually divided. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean it's all going to work out good. Okay? You have to be unified you have to be one flesh you have to be going the same direction so my counsel to you is before you get married have many conversations about the direction that you want to go with your life you need to be on the same page before you say the vows you need to have a lot of conversations before you get married so you want to have kids you better make sure that she wants to have kids So you want to be a missionary to Africa? (laughs) You better make sure he wants to be a missionary to Africa. Because the more united you can be before you enter marriage, the better off you'll be after the vows have been made. Does anybody agree with me? Thank you. But church, I, I totally get it. Totally get it. We're not perfect. I realize this. Many of us have already entered into a marriage with someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to leave you sitting here completely hopeless this morning. May I just take a moment to encourage you. If you're in that situation and you've married an unbeliever, someone who doesn't follow Jesus, can I encourage you for just a moment? I want to tell you a story. My best friend growing up, his name was Jeremy Wilkinson. Um, Our friendship, he barely made it out alive. I barely made it out alive, all right? He was just a fantastic friend. He's actually now a pastor in Virginia. But his mom was a Christian. His dad, Jay, was not a follower of Jesus Christ. And for 25 years, I'm going to say it one more time, 25 years Jeremy, his mom Tana, who had a great spiritual influence in my life, and his sister Amanda wanted nothing more than to see Jay come to Jesus Christ. A while back, I had the honor of sitting in Jay's home, and uh, I got to listen to him share how he came to the decision to follow Jesus Christ at the age of 59. Uh, it, it was an incredible afternoon. Jay told me before salvation, he just didn't want to bow his knees to Jesus Christ. And that sent chills down my spine because you know what? That's what it boils down to. That's why people don't want to follow Jesus. They can give every argument, but it boils down to the fact they just don't want to bow their knees to God. He said he wanted to watch, he wanted to read, he wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. He didn't want to follow God because he knew that that meant he had to surrender his will to the will of God. And he wasn't interested in that. It was over a cup of coffee when his son Jeremy simply asked him, he said, Dad, where are you at with God? And Jay responded, he said, I don't know where I'm at with God, but I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to bow my knees to Him. I'm ready to follow Him with my life. And in a little coffee shop in Virginia, they prayed and Jeremy was able to lead his dad, his father to the Lord. Unbelievable experience, man. For 25 years, people were praying for Jay and at the age of 59, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. If you're married to an unbeliever, don't lose hope. Don't give up. When I was sitting in their home, Tana, Jay's wife, said that she had to realize she couldn't save Jay. She couldn't force him to follow Jesus. She had to allow God to save Jay in his timing. The Wilkinson family, they baptized Jay in the Animus River. And his life was forever changed because of Jesus, but also because of a wife who didn't nag him to death, but patiently loved and prayed for and served Jesus by serving Him. Man, it's always amazing to see a man who wanted nothing to do with God get changed by the power of God. Man, I've been in church, I've been in ministry a a long time, and that never gets old seeing someone come to faith in Jesus Christ. Man, I'm just, it just never gets old. Jade told me that he wants to be like Caleb in the Scriptures. He wants the second part of his life to be a thousand times greater than the first part of his life. The fact is, church, there is grace and hope on the other side of failure. There's grace and hope on the other side of bad decisions. If you marry the wrong person, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. But God is saying these things because He's a good father. And He's trying to catch us on the front end. And He's saying, hey, marry the right person. Take your time. Ask a lot of questions. Have many conversations. Do a background check if you feel like it, you know? Blood samples. Marry the right person, it'll save you a lot of headaches. In the future, I was just kidding about blood samples, okay? (laughs) The reality is, it's easier to get into debt than it is to get out of debt. It's easier to get into a relationship than it is to get out of a relationship. It's easier to fill your schedule than it is to fulfill your schedule. It's always easier to get in than it is to get out. Be careful. Come on, we can re- we can receive that, right? Be careful. Be careful. Take your time. Marry the right person the first time. The second major relational pitfall that Malachi deals with is he talks to those who were ignoring their vows. So let's continue to read in verses 13 through 15, Malachi chapter two. In The prophet says, And this second thing you do, number two, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, Why does He not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did He not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Church, there is no deeper commitment outside of your commitment to God that is deeper than the commitment to your wife. Not to your business, Fellas, if if you're sleeping right now, wake up. I need to say that. Not to your business. Not to your church. Not to your reputation. Not even to your friends. It's to your wife. It's critical. And God takes vows very seriously. God takes the vows we make, the promise of marriage very seriously. So I, I say again, take your time. Don't be rash in your commitments. And when you make a vow, you had better mean it. Proverbs 20.25 says, It is foolish and rash to make a promise to the Lord before counting the cost. God's giving you permission right here to wait, to ponder, to count the cost before you make vows, before you make major decisions. Think it through. What's the implications? What's this mean for you and your commitment and your life? Don't rush into something. Don't be pressured into a relationship. Make sure it's right. Take your time and enter into a marriage having counted the cost. Knowing full well what you're committing to. Pastor, it sounds like you're trying to scare us away from marriage. I'm not. I'm just saying, hey... Make a good decision. Think through it. Go into a marriage with your eyes open. Don't be so infatuated that you get through the honeymoon stage and you're like, oh my goodness, what have I gotten into? I'm trying to protect you from that. God, the good, perfect Father, wants you to have a godly marriage. He wants you to have a godly home, and His whole intention is because of legacy. It's not just you and your life and poof it's gone. It's you and your life and the decisions that you make affect generations to come. It's about legacy. Psalm says that children when a husband and a wife have children, Psalm says that they're like arrows. okay Arrows are weapons that are used to shoot the enemy. God has given us children as His weapons of warfare in this wicked world. Arrows. Arrows to go out and defeat the enemy with the love of Jesus Christ, with good works, with truth. Sons and daughters of God. That's what God intends. That's what He's looking at. He's looking at legacy. He's looking at children who are being raised up in the ways of God so that they can go out and accomplish great things for God. Keeping your vow is close to the heart of God because of legacy. What you do affects future generations and what you do affects the spiritual battle taking place all around us. God wants us to raise up children to be difference makers. He wants arrows. Mom, you're, you're kind of feeling unfulfilled in your role as a mother. Can I just... Remind you of how critical that role is. You're raising up the next generation. It's, it's extremely, extremely critical. We honor moms here because of their role. It's so critical. Fathers, you're kind of thinking that your role as a father is unfulfilling, it's not that important, you're feeling kind of mundane. Come on, man, you're raising up warriors for the kingdom of God. Take it seriously. God wants us to raise up children to be difference makers. He wants arrows. So are you raising up children of God? Are you living out in front of them what it means to love God, what it means to love people? The people here in Malachi, they were continually making one horrible decision after another, and then they expected God to bless them. Sounds like America, right? God, I know we're not living for you, but bless us anyways. Come on. They were asking the question, why? Why doesn't God hear our cries? Why isn't He responding to my broken heart? Why? You know. God said, in spite of your offerings, in spite of your many tears, I don't hear it. I don't receive your offerings because actions do speak louder than words. And your hearts are black. So I ask the question, what what could they have done in this day and age? What could they have done to be in right standing with God? And I ask the question, what can we do? Say, man, my, my life has been the wrong way. I want to get it on the right path. What can I do? What they could have done then what we can do now is repent. What you can do is you can turn your back on sin and you can go full steam at Jesus Christ. Let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled. unrepentance choosing to just roll around in the mud of sin it's it's always going to diminish your worship of god god won't receive it actions do speak louder than words so how do you repent let me quickly give you 3 tools to help you with confession with repentance okay first of all i would highly recommend that you take a moral inventory Just reflect, journal, write it down, look at your life and and just think about where you've gone astray, what path you've taken that has been wrong and take a moral inventory. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Man, what a heart right there that David had. Like God, I want to be right with you. Point it out. And I, I want to repent of it. I want to confess that. Secondly, take responsibility for your sin. Woo! That's a good one. Own your part in your sin. Quit living in denial and passing the blame. Oh, it's his fault. It's her fault. Come on, man. Take ownership. Take responsibility. Own up to your sin and confess your sin. And lastly ask god for forgiveness and then accept his forgiveness first 1 john 1:9 1, says but if we confess our sins to him he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us ah doesn't that sound good cleanse us from all wickedness and when god points out your sin own it say god i'm guilty and confess it and ask for forgiveness church i encourage you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Confess your sins to be spiritually healed. The last pitfall that we're going to deal with this morning is a big one. And it's the issue, Malachi went right, I'm going to say to the source of the problem, he went right to the men. And he said, you know what? You're not loving your wife. Look at verses 16 and 17. For the man, he's calling him out. Malachi's bold, he's not afraid to confront. He says, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. Calling evil good. It just wears God out. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So I ask the question, why is God calling out the men? Why is He speaking to the husbands? The problem in the book of Malachi was spiritually uncommitted husbands. The reason that families are divided and broken and shattered in our day is because of spiritually uncommitted husbands. Men who are overly consumed with their own pleasure, their own hobbies, their own wants, their own desires. Men who quit. When it gets too hard, men who don't even realize that they're in a spiritual war. They're spiritually uncommitted and they're not leading their families anywhere, let alone towards Jesus Christ. So, what is your responsibility, men? What is your responsibility, husbands? You can start by loving your wife. Check out Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, He gave up His life for her. You should love your wife with passion. Jesus gave His life for the church. That's our example to follow as husbands. You should love your wife passionately. You should also love her Purely Look at verses 26 and 27. He, Jesus, gave His life to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. What you, fellas, let me ask you, what are you doing to lead your wife spiritually? He did this to present her to Himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Your love for your wife should be pure. And your intention should be to help her get closer to Jesus Christ. Husbands, you should also love your wife by protecting her. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Your wife should know without a shadow of a doubt that you love her. There should be no question. She should feel safe in your arms. And your protection should include her physical body, her emotions, her mind, and most importantly, you should protect her spiritually. Are you praying for her? Do you pray for your wife, fellas? Are you praying with her? Do you talk about the things of God with her? Is is your wife in your thoughts at all during the day? Do you send her a text, give her a call, write her a card? Does she have your attention? Listen, you don't protect just by using muscles and guns, okay? You also protect with your prayers. You can protect your wife by... Winking at her every once in a while. You can protect her with your affection. You can protect her by communicating with her the things of God. That's one flesh. And lastly, you love your wife by providing for her. Verse 29, No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church and I encourage you guys take take care of your wife's needs and you know what give her some of her wants as well come on ladies give me an amen huh in reality I I gotta be blunt here I think some of us we think we're so spiritual because we live on so little and you take pride in being poor, you kind of think it's the Christian way. In reality, you're just a tightwad. The reality is, you're not generous. The reality is, you're a jerk. Here's the question. What if God treated the church the same way you treat your wife? I've seen the way some of you guys treat your wife, and I would say, God, help us if God treated the church the same way. Bless your wife. Provide for her. When you love your wife in such a way, it blesses the heart of God. It blesses Him. He loves seeing that. Church, it... It all comes down (laughs) to decisions, right? We're a church that's not afraid to lead people to decisions because decisions are so critical, so important. It's all about decisions. It's all about commitments you make. Your commitments can develop you or they can destroy you, but either way, they will define you. Tell me what you're committed to, and I will tell you what you'll be in 20 years. Every choice we make has eternal consequences. So choose wisely. As believers, we should be defined by godly, loving commitments. If we want to become more like Jesus, then we need to commit to the same things that He committed Himself to. Don't marry the wrong person. Don't take your vows lightly in husbands. Love your wife like Jesus loved the church. Make decisions. And may godly commitments define you. May they define you. May you be able to look back and go, man, I am so glad I stayed true to the Word of God. I I did the hard things. I stayed committed. I obeyed. Because it has paid off. I have reaped what I've sown. And it's a bountiful basket. I'm so thankful, God. May it be so for your life and for your marriage and for your family, for your business, and for our church. I'm going to invite the band up this morning. They're going to sing a song at the end after I pray, and it's titled, Lord, I Need You. And I I feel like that's really appropriate, because many times, even what I'm preaching, I struggle too, guys. And I need you, Lord. I need you. I need you so desperately to be able to walk successfully in this life as a Christian. Let me go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank You for Your Word. We want to be a compassionate people. We also want to be a biblical people. I pray for the marriages in Grace Church. I pray we would keep our Bibles open in our marriages. I pray we would be one in our marriages, confessing sin, repenting together, and allowing the Gospel to do its redeeming work. I pray for our children. I pray that they would be raised up in godly homes. And I pray starting right now, they would begin living for the Lord as young people, as children even. I also pray for those who have been divorced, those who are single parents in our congregation this morning, and life can be very hard. And I pray that they wouldn't hear this as a message of condemnation, but rather they would be encouraged and that they would begin today making decisions that honor You, Father. And Lord, for those who intend to be remarried, I pray that they would marry loving Christian spouses. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that we all stand this morning. And let's just sing out and worship. Use this time to pray. Use this time to reflect. Um, use this time to make some decisions, okay?